There's a, there's a scripture that just came to me, and I'm going to just see if I... No, I didn't write the reference down. Um, but it's in, it's, in, it's in Timothy, about the church being the pillar and ground of the truth. And the days that we're living in, we need to stay very, very close to the church, and very, very close to the truth. And the word of God can be rightly divided. It can also be wrongly divided. And so basic Bible doctrine is very, very important. And everything comes back to the scripture. There's a lot of people that feel very comfortable quoting and saying the Bible says this and the Bible says that, but they, they can't find it. And, and they'll their conclusions are wrong because they're actually mis, misquoting or, or, or misinterpreting something. Um, I found there's something that came to me this week. Grace is what gives you what you don't deserve. Mercy is what spares you from what you do deserve. Um, but about staying close to the church, Hebrews 10.25 is, is near and dear to my heart um, where the Apostle Paul says that the, the closer that we get to the return of Jesus, the more important it is to be in church. That's, that's how I interpret it. He says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. Um, so, we want to associate with the assembly. And if we expect to be caught up with the assembly of saints, we, we, we don't want to be uh, neglecting the assembly when we're here. Anyway. Just some, just some thoughts. That, along with, along with First Corinthians uh, twelve, where the word says that God has set every member in the body as it pleases Him, and we all have, we all we all have a place uh, where it pleases the Lord to put us. Uh, a, a place in the local church and a, and a local church, a specific local church where it pleases the Lord for us to be connected. So anyway, let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. And I didn't have any guidelines on what type of handout to have, except that it was supposed to be a handout, not a mailer. So... Um, Brother Jim does not micromanage, and, and if you want to pass those out, it's just simply the King James Version of Ephesians 2 with some, some spots to, to write in notes, uh, anything you might want to write down. There was a, a pastor a long time ago that told, uh, told me the, the best way to take notes when you're, if, if you are taking notes in a service, is... Um, is to write down 
the chapter and verse before you write down the book. Because you're going to remember that he said the Gospel of John. But you might not remember he said chapter 9, verse 17. And so just write down, jot down the number first, and then you'll remember to jot down the, the um, what, what book. And, and I, have, I have lots of scriptures for tonight. Making sure this thing is still doing what I want it to do. Okay. So that stays there. I was uh, I was in a, a part of Brooklyn Center today. Oh, no way! With my partner for for work, and he was taking care of a transaction at a bank, and he and when he when, when he finally got back in the truck because this ATM they were trying to repair was was having issues. I, I told him, I said, I have a story about that building over there. And he said, what building? And I said, well, it was um, a while back. I, I, my employer was in the office building behind that one. But I had gone down there for, for some reason or other. And uh, when I, I got back to, I, I had my kids with me. When I got back to the van, they... Um, I, I opened the door and I said, okay, get in the van. And they started laughing and running down the sidewalk that way. And so I had to set my briefcase down, chase after them, scoop them all up, throw them in the van, close the door, and drive all the way back to Matamina. We, we pulled in the driveway and my cell phone rings. And it's the police department in Brooklyn Center saying, um, we... Uh, we found this suspicious briefcase behind the Social Security Administration building in Brooklyn Center. Um, I think it's yours. Do you want to come back here and pick it up? Like as if I had placed a bomb behind the Social, Social Security Administration building. Anyway, it was, it was funny. Um, How did they know it was your briefcase? They must have gotten it open and seen my name in there. And I... I write my name in my books, and and I... At least they didn't blow it up or something. Yeah, I had what I always have in a briefcase, which is my Bible and books, and and they tracked me down. Um, so, what I wanted to do first, because I, I really want us to just get through the whole chapter... What I want to do first is just read this whole thing from top to bottom, okay? Um, don't, um, I'm, I'm going to read from a, a version that I, I, I like for this chapter, and then we'll just start back at the top and then, and then try to work our way through. What version this is it? This is the New English Bible. Probably nobody has that here. Um, so... So Ephesians chapter 2, time was when you were dead in your sins and wickedness, when you followed the evil ways of this present age, when you obeyed the commander of the spiritual powers of the air, the spirit now at work among God's rebel subjects, we too were of their number. 
We all lived our lives in sensuality and obeyed promptings of our own instincts and notions. In our natural condition, we, like the rest, lay under the dreadful judgment of God. But God, rich in mercy, with the great love he bore us, for the great love he bore us, brought us to life with Christ, even when we were dead in our sins. It is by grace you are saved. And our union with Christ, and in our union with Christ, he raised us up and enthroned us with him in the heavenly realms, so that he might display in the ages to come how immense are the resources of his grace and how great his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you are saved through trusting him. It is not your own doing. It is God's gift, not a reward for work done. There is nothing for anyone to boast of, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to devote ourselves to the good deeds for which God has designed us. Second part of the chapter. Remember then your former condition, you Gentiles as you are outwardly, the uncircumcised, so-called by those who are called the circumcised, but only with reference to an outward right, you were at that time separate from Christ, strangers to the community of Israel, outside God's covenant and the promise that goes with them. Your world was a world without hope and without God. But now, in union with Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have, brought, have been brought near through the shedding of Christ's blood. For he himself is our peace. Gentiles and Jews, he has made the two one. And in his own body of flesh and blood has broken down the enmity which stood like a dividing wall between them. For he annulled the law with its rules and regulations so as to create out of the two a single new humanity in himself, thereby making peace. This was his purpose, to reconcile the two in a single body to God through the cross on which he killed the enmity. So he came and Proclaim the good news. Peace to you who were far off and to those who were nearby. For through him we both alike have access to the Father in one spirit. Thus you are no longer aliens in a foreign land, but fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household. You are built upon the foundation laid by the apostles and prophets, and Christ Jesus himself is the foundation stone. In him the whole building is bonded together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you too are being built with all the rest into a spiritual dwelling for God. So, we'll start with the first three verses. This is my teleprompter. It's hard copy, so it's not going to go down. <laughs> oh, you know where I got that sticker? 
That was a campaign sticker for Ron Johnson in, in uh, Wisconsin, running for U.S. Senate, and I cut off the R and the O, and I got my name there, so. <laughs> Okay. So, Ephesians chapter 2 is about the work of Jesus on the cross to put God's plan into effect. The, the, the plan of redemption. The Father is the, is the author of the plan. The Son is the executor of the plan. The Holy Spirit is the revealer of the plan. But this was Jesus' part to put the plan into effect. It's about how God found us lost and dead in sin. We were, we were under a triple curse, the curse of sin and its penalty. We were under the world system ruled by Satan, and we were in bondage to an unrenewed mind and the nature of the flesh. So, chapter 2, verse 1, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. I happen to find out that those two words, trespasses and sins, are actually two different Greek words. And trespasses is, um, the, the meaning of that is technically blunder, and it refers to unknown sin. And then the sins in the last, the, the last word there, um, I believe it's the Greek word hamartia. And it, it means known sin. So God made us alive from both types of sin and raised us up through the work of the cross. Verse 2, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. As sinners, we walked along an organized path in this world, manipulated and led by the God of this world, Satan. People that are grown and feel like they're making their own decisions in life and doing what they want to do and being the kind of people that they want to be. They think they're doing their own thing. But they're really doing the devil's thing and naturally following, uh, like water always finds the lowest point, uh, just following the course of the world. You know, some, some are into some things and others into other things. It's all different, but... But without Christ, they're just naturally going the way of the world. Um, the prince of the power of the air, um, that word in Greek, and I'm not a Greek scholar, um, I just read after some people that are, refers to the atmosphere around this, around this earth. Um, God has given us as believers the authority to break the power of Satan and his demons and to set unbelievers free to become citizens of heaven. Philippians 3, verse 20. Philippians 3, 20, if you want to write that down, it says our citizenship is in heaven. 
And Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 says we're delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his dear son. So this was a, a desperate place to be. Verse 3, among whom also we had our conversation in time past in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. The wrath of God is never for the children of God, by the way. Mm -hmm. Nahum chapter 1 says God reserves his wrath for his enemies. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the word conversation, it, it means conduct. In the New King James it says how we conducted ourselves at that time in the lust of the flesh and so forth. I have a quote by by a, a preacher here, and I'll just read that word for word. He says, this verse says, before you were born again, you were controlled by the flesh and the mind. Notice the spirit is left out. Unless the sinner is demon-possessed, he's not controlled by a spirit. He's under the control of the nature of the flesh and the unrenewed mind. This is the pre-designed course of the world that the world is following. Um, Romans chapter 8 says, I just want to go, go over to that one, Romans chapter 8. And I do like turning pages in the Bible. And it's okay to take a moment to do that. Verse 6 says, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. When the mind is in line with the spirit, with your spirit, there's peace. When the mind is in line with the flesh, only things of death can be produced in your life. You ever notice how sinners can sin terribly? and go have a good day the next day? Mm -hmm. It's because their mind and their spirit match up. They have spiritual death down here, and they got spiritual death up here, and everything's in line, so there's no problem. Uh, the sinner is just acting according to his nature. Mm -hmm. Of course it's wrong, and of course it's sin, but, it, but he's acting according to his nature. So a, a, a born-again child of God has the... Spirit of God down here, but if he gets his mind on the things of the flesh, then things are not lined up, and you got there, there, there's a pull this way, and so uh, Paul talks about godly sorrow and, and uh, repentance and and getting back in line. The unbeliever needs his heart, his nature changed, not merely his actions. Okay, this is good. The sinner is not a sinner because he sins. He's a sinner because, or he sins because he's a sinner. Yes. The believer is not righteous because he does righteous acts. His righteous acts, he, he does righteous acts because he's righteous. Um, good works will not make us righteous. We see people all the time that 
do very nice things for other folks through charities or through organizations and but they're not saved but they're still doing nice things mm -hmm. the good works don't save them um, with good works we can't even earn a small piece of our salvation not even a little edge or corner of it but um, righteousness will produce good works acceptable to God so I'm not doing good works to earn my salvation I'm doing good works because it's in my heart to do it because God has saved me so to summarize verses 1 through 3 about how God found us in verse 1 we were spiritually dead in verse 2 we we're under Satan and his system in verse 3 we're controlled by the flesh and the unrenewed mind and then we encounter the love of God verse 4 but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Um, the, the, the word rich is uh, a word um, in Greek called plusios. It means filthy rich. Um, I read that Pluto in Greek mythology was the god of wealth. And it was interesting. Um, so... In English, we get the word plutocrat. Oh, okay. Somebody that's so rich, he has influence over other people. This is grace in action. God's mercy. Mercy brings God's grace to lost man. Verses 5 and 6. Even when we were dead in sins, has he quickened us together with Christ? By grace are you saved, and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God loved us when there was nothing to love, cared enough not to leave us as he found us, and he even gave us a seat in heaven. First Samuel chapter 2 verse 8. Notice all the all the all the words together in 
in verse uh, in verses five and six. He quickened us together, raised us up together, and made us sit together. Jesus had to become man, bridging the gap between a holy God and sinful man, so he took our place. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but how God could not die in our place. Because how are we going to kill God? The only way God could take our place, our sin, our sickness, was for him to become man, for him to become one of us. Verse 7, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. If God has a plan for us in eternity, he must be counting on us, making it through the few problems that we have in this life. If our future is secure, our present can be secure also. God, it's like, it's like God has this vault labeled grace in heaven. And here it says, He'll show us the exceeding riches of his grace all throughout eternity. More than enough. Verses 8 and 9, I'm going to do those together. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, I've always taken this scripture in, in witnessing to other people to, um, to say, well, here the Bible says you cannot earn your salvation. It's all by the grace of God or, or nothing at all. Um, you know, through faith, through believing, not of yourselves. In other words, nothing you, nothing you did, nothing you could earn or work for. It is the gift of God. And, and that's true. In, in Matthew chapter 18, I'd like to add this. Except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. You ever notice that a little child has no problem receiving a gift? They're not too proud to receive something for free. And they love gifts. But that's how somebody has to become to, to enter the kingdom. It is the gift of God. So, back to Ephesians 2.8, um, salvation is a gift, and the grace of God is free, but one thing that I hadn't seen before 
looking into this was that even the faith to believe is, is the gift of God. You know, Jesus said, no man can come to me unless the Father draws him. And if that drawing doesn't exist, it's, it's how, can, how can a man respond to, to God to receive salvation? In Romans 12, 3, um, Paul, it's the passage about not being conformed to the world. But he says that God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. And that would begin, I believe, with faith to believe to be saved. So, grace and faith fit together. God's grace is received by our faith. So grace is God reaching out to us, but faith is our means of reaching out to God. And when we respond to his drawing and respond to his word, then we have a connection. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained, that we should walk in them. Um, the, this, this is very interesting. The, the Greek word for workmanship is poema, and that's where we get the word poem. And somebody brought this out. It's like a, a special creation of God from his heart. It's what we are. Um, and all the glory for it goes to God. A beautiful poem, the glory doesn't go to the paper and the pencil. It goes to the author. So, we're saved unto good works. Verse 11. <clears throat> Remember, wherefore, that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. I'm going to read 12 also. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of, of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you sometimes were far off or made nigh by the blood of Christ. There's always been enmity or slander in between different groups of people or tribes or different ethnic groups, races. Um, but races only exist in the flesh, not in the spirit. Racial barriers were removed on the cross by the work of Jesus at the time the sin barrier was removed through the shedding of his blood. Um, we here, so here we have the circumcision, which are the Jewish people, um, and the uncircumcision, anybody that was not of the Jewish race, a Gentile. And so 
these, these two, out of these two groups, God created a brand new group of people that had never existed before, and that is the church. So now we have not just Jews and Gentiles, but we have Jews, Gentiles, and the church. Um, there is a verse in 1 Corinthians 10. If I can't, if I can't put my, my eye right on it, we'll just move past, move on. But it's, um, I think it's in 1 Corinthians 10. But it specifically lists the three, the three, the, the three groups of people. Uh, yeah, there it is. First Corinthians ten, verse thirty-two: Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the Church of God. There we have the three people groups listed out. Um, so, if I was born a Gentile. I guess you could technically say, you know, by race, I'm still a Gentile. But, but actually, I'm taking myself out of that group, and I'm saying I'm part of the church, because we have the, the, um, the Jews, the Gentiles, and the Church of God. And this particular verse right here, I, um, if any of you know who Billy Brim is, she, she teaches much in... In, in, in eschatology and, and has a great ministry in Israel but but the Lord told her if you if you can keep these three groups separate and distinct it'll keep your end time doctrine straight and so anyway that's a that's a side point okay where was I at we had read through 13 um Comments on verse 12. Uh, the commonwealth of Israel was mentioned. Commentary I read said that was God's remnant in, in Israel. We were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. What are the covenants of promise? Well, it goes all the way, all the way back through the old covenant. We have uh, the Abrahamic covenant, God's covenant with Abraham, in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, that God would give him descendants like the sand on the seashore and like the stars in the heavens. And the sand on the seashore represented the natural seed of Abraham, the Jewish race. The stars in the heavens represented his spiritual seed, which is all of, the, all, all of us that come to faith in, in Jesus uh, and are grafted in spiritually. Secondly, we have the everlasting covenant. I call it the everlasting covenant. Um, but it's, it has to do with God giving the land of Israel to Abraham's natural descendants. And um, some, one person I read after said, he, he called it the Palestinian covenant. I don't like that because it 
it's named after the Philist. It, it brings to mind the Philistines, and you know, I know. Um, but it is referred to, at least in the King James, um, in one, two, three, four passages as the everlasting covenant. And if you want to write those down, they are First um, Chronicles 16, 17 and 18, Psalm 105, 10 and 11, Ezekiel 37, 25 and 26, and Jeremiah 32, 37 through 41. I want to read the one in First Chronicles. Verses 17 and 18. Well, I'll start with, with 16. Even the covenant which he made with Abraham and of his oath unto Isaac and has confirmed the same to Jacob for a law to Israel for an everlasting covenant, saying unto thee, will I give the land of Canaan the lot of your inheritance. When you were but few, even a few, and strangers in it. So, and then I want to read the one in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 32, verse 37. Oh, that's several verses. Verse 40. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them, that I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts. Okay, verse 41, rejoice over them to do them good, and I will plant them in this land, assuredly with my whole heart, with my whole soul. So that's very special to the Lord. And um, for our sakes, it's good foreign policy. Okay, third, the, the covenant God made with David in 2 Samuel 7 to always put a son on his throne, which uh, the grand fulfillment of that is Jesus on his throne in, in the millennium. And then finally, the new covenant in Ezekiel eleven nineteen 19 and, and Ezekiel 36. I'd like to read that. Have you ever noticed technology making us more impatient? <laughs> yes. When we have the verses on the screen here, we're accustomed to the speaker mentioning the verse. Immediately you can see it. And so you just follow along. But back in the days when we were all bringing our Bibles to church and we were all looking things up, the time that it took the preacher to, to get to the verse gave everyone else time to get there. And, and, and it, was all, it was all okay. One time I was on the phone with, with my aunt, and we were having a good conversation. Uh, and then my sister-in-law walks into the room, and I acknowledged her with a hi or something. But I was really focused on this conversation. 
But my aunt heard that my attention was being diverted away from her because I said something to somebody else. And she says, okay, fine, I'll see you. Yeah, I, I guess you're busy. Okay, um, call me back. Bye. And she hangs up. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't want you to hang up. I was just acknowledging somebody else in the room. It's not good. So it's okay. It's a uh, patience uh, is developed when it's exercised. How's that? And uh, and it's it's good to be familiar with your own Bible and actually look verses up. So. Ezekiel eleven nineteen, and I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. I will take the stony heart out of their flesh, and will give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes, keep my ordinances. We have the law of God inside our heart. We're no longer strangers from the covenants of promise. So that was the Abrahamic covenant, the everlasting covenant for the land, God's covenant with David and the new covenant. Um, I guess God made a covenant with Noah too, right? That he wouldn't flood over the earth. Those are the covenants of promise. And we're not without hope. We're not without God in the world. Um, Ephesians chapter 1 mentions the hope of our, of our calling. The, uh, the great rapture of the church that we all have to look forward to is, is referred to as the blessed hope in the New Testament. Verse 13, which I, which I read, Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made near by the blood of Christ. Now, this is awesome. Book of Job, chapter 9. Job was uh, more than likely the first book written in the among scripture if uh, we talk about um, in a chronological sense, what was written first and, and so forth. Books of Moses right after that. Uh, Job chapter 9 Verses 2 and 3, or 1 through 3. Then Job answered and said, I know it is so of a truth, but how should man be just with God? If he will contend with him, he cannot answer one, he cannot answer him one of a thousand. Verse 32. For he is not a man, as I am, that I should answer him, 
and we should come together in judgment. Neither is there any man betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. He's looking for a, a middleman, a mediator between him and between himself and God. And somebody who can put his hand on man's shoulder and touch God at the same time and bring the two together. And that and Jesus was was the fulfillment of that. Verse 14. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. The middle wall of partition is the barrier between God and man, between races, removed by one act of reconciliation, Jesus' death on the cross. Verse 15. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, to make in himself of two one new man, so making peace. Jesus removed from us the curse of the law. The blessings are still intact today. Um, Joshua chapter 8, verses 30 through 35 came up. Here, I'm not going to read all of this. It was, it was about him um, building an altar to the Lord and having two mountains. Um, I think one that represented a curse and one that represented a blessing. Okay. Matthew 5, 17. That's a better place to go. Keep things moving along. What time is it? So Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 17, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Um, So Jesus didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill it. The law represents the Old Covenant, which is another word for the Old Testament. And 
so many prophecies that needed fulfillment in Jesus and the words of God themselves that uh, you know all the everything in the law that he had to stand up rightly before and 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 obey to the letter to be to become our perfect sacrifice uh, he he did that and in in walking perfectly before God and then becoming our perfect sacrifice and seeing that sacrifice all the way to completion he fulfilled the law he fulfilled everything that was spoken about him but here's a great example We move from one season to another. We move from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. Um, summer doesn't destroy spring. It fulfills it. Um, manhood doesn't destroy childhood, but manhood is the fulfillment of, of childhood. So... We live in the new covenant, and we're not supposed to go um, acting like we're, we're living under the old. Verse 16, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. The cross was the final fulfillment of the law. Jesus fulfilled the sacrificial part of the law at the cross. When he, when he said, it is finished, it wasn't the plan of salvation that was finished because that wasn't completed until he rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, presented his blood before the mercy seat of God, and sat down. It was the Mosaic law. It was, it was the law that was fulfilled at the cross when he said, it is finished. Because he had walked it, he became the perfect sacrifice, he saw it all the way to the end, and that was fulfilled and totally done. So, the law lasted from Moses until Jesus. On the cross, Jesus removed the law by fulfilling it. He nailed it to the cross and abolished it. Yeah. Verses 17 and 18. And came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. That would be Jews and Gentiles, those that are far off and those that are near. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Verses 19 and, and 20. Now therefore you're no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Jews and Gentiles are now fellow citizens in the church from one city, 
New Jerusalem, built on the same foundation. Uh, and Jesus is the, is the chief cornerstone. Now a cornerstone in a building, we, we, we have the foundation under the building. Um, the Judaism does not need, here's, here, this is good, Judaism does not need Christianity to explain its existence. But Christianity cannot explain its existence without Judaism, without the Old, Old Testament. But when Jews and Gentiles join each other in the church, then now we're, now we're the church. Um, but so the Old Testament is our foundation. And Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Now a cornerstone is actually on the corner. And it connects two walls, which I think represent the the old covenant and and the new covenant. Okay. And uh, verses twenty one and twenty two, in whom all the building fitly framed together grows unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. There is a, a song that I haven't been able to identify that we sung many years ago in church, but one, one part of that song had these words. It said, let this temple be a place where your glory is embraced as we stand in awe and, and worship you. So that would be the temple of our own, our own body, ourself. The corporate temple when we all come together as the church to worship. So, that's Ephesians 2. Comments? Oh, yeah. Questions? Thanks.